following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are with us this morning. Glad you joined us online here in the room. We've got a bunch of folks up in the balcony, so welcome. Glad you're here. Can you believe that it's the first Sunday of December? It's crazy that it's gotten here so fast, but here we are, and we are continuing, as we said, in our Advent sermon series called Rediscover the Wonder. If you have a Bible, grab it, and let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The psychologist Sonia Lupian has suggested that the reason that so many of us live so stress-filled lives all the time is that our lives are nuts. Now... Hang with me, right? I realize that's a bold claim, but, but, but just wait, you'll see. Um, I first discovered Lupian's writing in a, uh, an article in Psychology Today about helping teenagers deal with stress. And so as a father of two teenagers and one who's well on her way to becoming a teenager, I was really interested in this article on dealing with stress with teenagers. And I found this idea from Lupian, who is a researcher at the Center for, human, um, uh, the, 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 the Center for the Studies of Human Stress. And she gives this little acronym, NUTS, to talk about the sources of our stress. Then one of the ways we help teenagers deal with stress is by helping them understand the sources of it. And and while I turned initially to this article thinking, this might be helpful for me as a dad with my kids, I didn't realize how much I would find there that was for me. NUTS, the acronym, NUTS stands for novelty, unpredictability, Threat to ego or sense of control. And the, the idea is that if you can kind of label, if you can understand what the sources of your stress are, you can deal with it better. And so in order to, to illustrate this idea of the NUTS acronym, I want to use just a, a random example pulled from, uh, from nowhere in particular. And that is the example of pastoring a church through a global pandemic. <laughs> NUTS. Right, first novelty. Novelty. When March 2020 hit, there wasn't a pastor alive who had ever led a church through a global pandemic of this scale. And here I was, a relatively new pastor, seeking to try to lead through these new, unforeseen circumstances. Novelty. Second, unpredictability. You remember how sick we all got of the word pivot, right? But we got sick of it because we just kept to keep doing it. We just had to keep pivoting and pivoting because we didn't know what was coming next. It was just unpredictable. We didn't know how long it was going to last. We've lived through two years of, of this extended sense of ambiguity. And now we find ourselves even now hearing about the Omicron variant, unpredictability, novelty, unpredictability, threat to ego. And when I'm really being honest, there were points along the way where I felt very much like how we weathered this storm as a church, right? how we survived, how we did financially. In my weakest moments, I felt like that was on me. Like that was a reflection of me. That was an indictment of me, a sense of threat to my ego, to my sense of adequacy and identity. Novelty, unpredictability, threat to ego, and sense of control, more pointedly, a lack 
of a sense of control. And haven't we all lived through these last couple of years with that sense that, that all of this is just beyond my ability to control? That's why my life has been nuts the last couple of years. But I wonder if there's some of you that, that resonate with one or more of those. I wonder if there's some of you that are dealing with some new and unforeseen circumstances. Maybe a new situation with your job, a, a diagnosis you didn't see coming, a new set of circumstances that you don't quite know how to navigate. I wonder if there's any of you that are experiencing unpredictability. Like you don't know where all this is going. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know how it's all going to resolve. I wonder if there's any of you that are experiencing circumstances right now that feel like a threat to your ego, like a sense of your own identity and well-being is, is somehow threatened. I wonder how many of you may be right now living through a set of circumstances that just feel beyond your ability to control. A lot of us live stress-filled lives because our lives sometimes get nuts. Maybe you resonate with the description that uh, the journalist Bridget Schulte offers in her book, Overwhelmed, when she says, this is how it feels to live my life. Scattered, fragmented, exhausting. I'm always doing more than one thing at a time, and I feel like I never do any one particularly well. I'm always behind and always late with one more thing and one more thing and one more thing to do before rushing out the door. Entire hours evaporate while I'm doing stuff that needs to get done. But once I'm done, I can't tell you what it was that I did or why it seemed important. I feel like the dream I keep having about trying to run a race wearing ski boots I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us right now feel like we're trying to run a race with ski boots. And let's face it, when it comes to stress in our lives, the holidays don't help at all, do they? Right? The studies show that, that people's stress rises significantly during the holiday season. And it's during that time that people tend to eat too much and drink too much and spend too much, have too much togetherness or not enough togetherness, and all those factors just increase people's sense of stress. We sing the song that says it's the most wonderful time of the year, and yet we all know that oftentimes it is far from the truth. And so in circumstances like these, to talk about peace can feel almost oppressive. And yet, peace is one of the great themes of the Advent season. And we are here in the second week of this sermon series called Rediscover the Wonder. We're talking about the idea that, that this season of the year is filled with so many things that are familiar to us. And there's, a, there's something comfortable about the familiarity. That we, we sing the same songs, we tell the same stories, we hang the same old decorations. There's something very comforting about the familiarity of it all. And yet, in the midst of the familiarity, we can miss it. We can miss the wonder of it all. And so this year, we want to rediscover the wonder of the Advent season. And I believe that God wants us, you and me, all of us, to rediscover the wonder of 
peace. Jesus came to be the divine peacemaker, to make it possible for us to have peace with God, for, to make it possible for us to have peace with one another, and for us to even have an internal sense of peace, of well-being. And when you look at the classic Advent passages, uh, those stories of the first Advent, the arrival of Jesus, that are told in the opening pages of Matthew and Luke, you find one passage in particular that, that we opened our service with today that speaks to Jesus coming to be God's divine peacemaker. The words that we read there in Luke chapter one are the words of Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. If you know the story at all, Zechariah has gone through this period of waiting for the arrival of his little boy and he's gone through it in silence because he didn't believe the promise of God and God wanted to kind of teach Zechariah a lesson of trust in him. And so he went through this whole season in silence. And then when John is born, who's born to be the forerunner of Jesus, to to make the way for Jesus to come, When John is born, Zechariah's mouth is open and he sings a song of praise to God. At the very end of this glorious song, we get these words from Zechariah. Zechariah says, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising of the sun will come upon us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path peace. Jesus has come to guide our feet to the path of peace. If you've been around my Bible teaching much at all, you might know that, that I think this idea of peace is that great thread that runs throughout the biblical story. It's captured with the Hebrew word shalom that's translated in our English Bibles as peace, but it means so much more than merely the absence of hostility between people. Shalom is that sense of everything being the way that it's supposed to be. It's it's better captured with a a whole host of words like harmony, flourishing, delight, joy, justice, peace. Peace between us and God, peace between us and each other, and peace within ourselves. And Jesus has come to be the divine peacemaker. Now here where, where Zechariah Um, in the birth announcement of his son, John, talks about a light dawning in people who lived in darkness. He's actually alluding back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, who wrote more than seven centuries before the birth of John, the birth of Jesus. But Isaiah wrote there about the coming birth of Messiah. And in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, the prophet says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then a few verses later, in verse 6, Isaiah says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government, in the language of Jesus, the kingdom will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government or his kingdom and his peace, there will be no end. Jesus has come to be the divine peacemaker. And I believe that this Advent season, God wants us as his people to rediscover the wonder of peace. And I want to talk about that mainly this morning in two kinds of ways. First, I want to talk about seeking peace, right, in the midst of our crazy, busy Uh, stress-filled lives, the the invitation for us to seek peace 
but then also to talk about the idea that Jesus calls us to make peace, to be peacemakers. And so first, seeking peace. I mentioned before um, Bridget Schulte and her work called Overwhelmed. She does an incredible job describing the kind of chaos-filled lives that so many of us lead. And, and as I was reading that book, I got to tell you, I mean, I was tracking along. I was reading. I was soaking it in. But I got to the point where I just had to close the book and put it aside because I was feeling overwhelmed by this book called Overwhelmed. Right? It was just getting a little too close to home because we live so often at a breakneck pace. We live so often with so many things that are vying for our attention, so many demands on our time. We can easily find ourselves feeling overwhelmed. But God invites us to seek peace. A few weeks ago, we introduced to you a verse Again, from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is a verse that I think says something really important to God's people in this particular day, in this particular cultural moment. The prophet says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Isaiah puts together these pairs of words. This is a poem that is characterized by what's called parallelism. And the parallel exists between the words repentance and trust and the words quietness and rest. And I think from this verse, we see what it means for us to seek peace this Advent season. And first, I believe seeking peace involves pursuing sane rhythms of rest and renewal. Sane rhythms of rest and renewal. Because we live such busy lives, we need to practice rhythms of disconnecting from the chaos of this world to commune with God in quietness and rest. Now, some of you have heard me talk before about the fact that there's an important distinction to be made between resting and relaxing, right? They're not the same things. We sometimes talk about them almost synonymously, but there's a difference between resting that is really about uh, our souls being refreshed and, and replenished and our communing with God, resting and relaxing. For me, relaxing just can involve a, a comfortable chair, an adult beverage, and a remote control, Right? That's relaxing, and there's nothing wrong with relaxing, but that's not what we need most deeply. What we need most deeply is rest, to disconnect from the chaos of the world, to commune with God, to have our souls replenished, to be restored, reinvigorated, to enter back into the chaos of this world. And we have to carve out time and and space, to carve out places in our lives in order to engage that. For, for me, Fridays are my day of rest. Friday's my personal Sabbath day. And it's just the day that I disconnect from, from everything. It's an opportunity for me to, to practice the reality that the world is going to keep on spinning whether I'm contributing anything to it or not. This past Friday, I went out to uh, Cedar Ridge Preserve here in Dallas, about 20 minutes from here, and just walked through the trails and, and had some time. I, I, I got to this place that was a, a high lookout spot and I just sat there for a little while. Just sat there to to commune with God, to be present and and quiet and disconnected from the chaos of life. 
what are the things that build back into you, that replenish your soul? What are the practices, what are the places that really are restorative for you? If we're going to experience peace in the midst of the chaos of our lives, we've got to practice sane rhythms of rest and renewal. To disconnect from the chaos of the world to commune with God. But, but I think there's a second aspect of this that, that Isaiah gets at when he talks about repentance and trust. And that is, in addition to sane rhythms of rest and renewal, we need a settled sense of quiet trust. The, the pairing of words here, repentance and trust. Repentance, the Hebrew word, literally comes from the word to turn. It's the idea of a 180 degree turn, to to turn away from the direction we're going, to turn away from what we're doing, to turn away most deeply from what we've been trusting other than God. And the call here for us to really experience peace is to turn away from the things that we're trusting rather than God. I, I heard a story recently about a poet named David White. And David White was having a conversation with a monk named Brother David. These two Davids are having this conversation together. And and David White is just talking about the exhaustion that he's experiencing uh, in, in serving in a nonprofit organization. He's just pouring out his heart, talking about his exhaustion. And the wise monk, Brother David, says, Do you realize that sometimes the antidote to exhaustion isn't rest? Wait, excuse me, what? He's caught by this, right? Of course, the antidote to exhaustion is rest. But Brother David said, no, no, no. Sometimes the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. Because sometimes we experience exhaustion, soul exhaustion, because we have a divided heart. Because we are looking to and and trusting in and pursuing other things to satisfy what God himself ultimately can only satisfy. We we reach for, for things that we think will help to make us feel better. Things that we think will give us some sense of peace. We put our trust in those things and we live with a divided heart. And sometimes even our busyness is a way for us to run from our divided heart. And sometimes what we need to do is face the reality of what our lives have become. To name before God the reality of the things that we have been pursuing, that we have been putting our trust in. And to turn. To turn from the direction we've been going. To turn from what we've been doing. To turn from what we've been trusting. And to turn to God. To trust in him. Because ultimately our our peace is found. In a quiet trust. Once again, the prophet Isaiah speaks to this reality. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Isaiah says, You, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. That we would turn away from whatever it is that we've been trusting in that is not God. And we find peace Trusting in him. This is the pathway to inner peace. For our seeking peace within during this Advent season. But, but I also want to talk a little bit about our making peace. The call of God on our lives to be peacemakers during this Advent season. 
And to be quite frank with you, I wasn't planning on talking about peacemaking on this second Sunday of Advent. I really was going to focus the sermon all on that idea of, of finding peace, of seeking peace, pursuing inner peace. And yet, when I really reflect on the deep work that God is doing in my own life, I recognize a lot of that is around what it really means to be a peacemaker. And I shared some things from my own story, from my own journey in this regard with our staff and with our elders this last week. And there seemed to be a resonance there that made me think maybe, just maybe, there's some of you here this morning who need to hear it too. And especially at Advent. Because peacemaking is about making peace in conflicted relationships. And maybe for some of you, you're stepping into some of that over the course of these coming weeks. And so what does it mean for us to be peacemakers this Advent season? Jesus, of course, says to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, this core curriculum on discipleship to Jesus, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And of course, for Jesus to say they will be called children of God doesn't mean that they, they earn the right to be God's children by being peacemakers, right? That, that clearly goes against the nature of the gospel, that we don't earn our favor with God at all. But rather the idea that peacemakers are called children of God is to say, you can see a family resemblance. Peacemakers look like their father because peacemakers do what God does. The uh, Salvadoran bishop and theologian Oscar Romero captures this really well. He says, peace is not found, right? Peace isn't something we sort of stumble upon. Peace is not found, it is built. The Christian is the artisan of peace. And in my own journey as a peacemaker, God's been teaching me some things. I'm, I'm actually doing a, a 40-day devotional right now called the Gospel for Peacemakers. My personality type is called the peacemaker. And so I'm on this journey thinking about, reflecting on the Gospel for, for Peacemakers. In the introduction to that book, um, I was uh, sort of rudely reminded of the huge gap that exists between peacemaking and peace faking. And how oftentimes my pursuit, what I really want, is a false sense of peace, a, a pseudo peace. What I often really want is to sort of disconnect from the world so that I can maintain my sense of inner peace. But it's, it's actually a false peace. Um, my mother-in-law was with us this last week. And she, she spent the week in, uh, in our family's uh, home office. And the office at home is referred to as dad's cave, right? The cave is that place where dad sometimes needs to go to sort of disconnect from everything and everybody and just kind of, that's dad's place to go and, and recharge. The problem is sometimes dad has an inordinate attachment to the cave, <laughs> And so last Sunday after preaching, um, we were going to go that evening and pick up my mother-in-law. And so we're all uh, serving our, our plates at lunch. And, uh, and I just said to, to the family, I said, Granny's going to be here all week in, in my office. What's dad going to do without his cave? And my 12-year-old, without missing a beat, offered a little bit of a zinger. Right? Without missing a beat, she said, it means you'll have to talk to the rest of us. <laughs> Ouch. Now, she was being a little sarcastic, right, humorous, and yet, there's some truth underneath that humor. Sometimes I just want to 
withdraw. I, I just want to disconnect. And I, I settle for a kind of pseudo peace that says, nobody mess with me. Nobody bother me. Nobody disturb my shalom. Thank you very much. But what God's been teaching me about being a genuine peacemaker first is this. Genuine peacemakers courageously move toward conflict. To be a genuine peacemaker means to courageously move toward conflict. Now that doesn't mean go looking for a fight. In fact, for some of you, being a peacemaker this Advent season means you need to resolve in your heart to stop being a jerk. And no elbows at this point in the sermon. Right? But more seriously, what, what it might mean for some of you to, to courageously move towards conflict is to find the courage to own the reality that you have been a source of conflict. What it might mean for, for some of you is to find the courage to admit that you may have some anger problems. What it might mean for, for some of you is to find the courage to ask for forgiveness. And yet for for many of us, it's the reality that we tend to be more conflict avoidant. And I've been painfully reminded even in recent days, the consequences of failing to move courageously toward conflict. If we're to be peacemakers in the way of Jesus, we're called to be people who find the courage to move toward the conflict. Second, genuine peacemakers compassionately move toward pain. Genuine peacemakers compassionately move toward pain. I have several people in my life right now, people that are close to me, that are just walking through some pretty significant experiences of pain. And let's all be honest that sometimes when people in our lives are, are experiencing pain, our tendency is to lean back rather than to lean in. That sometimes when we feel like I can't fix it, I can't solve it, then I can't bear it. And if I don't get too close, then I don't have to bear your pain with you. And yet, aren't we glad that, that Jesus didn't respond to our pain that way? Aren't we glad that Jesus compassionately moved toward our pain? That Jesus entered into our pain, took our pain upon himself, endured a pain beyond our ability to even comprehend in order to be the divine peacemaker for you and for me. And he calls us and says, blessed are the shalom makers. Compassionately move toward people in pain. And then the third one that God is teaching me right now is to calmly remain in the unresolved. The genuine peacemakers calmly remain in the unresolved. And can I just admit to you, I hate this one. (laughs) I hate unresolved. As a peacemaker, I want to fix it. I want to help. I want to make it go away. I I want us all just to, can we all just be okay? Can we all just get along? I, I don't like unresolved tension and yet the reality of many of our experiences is that even as we courageously move toward conflict even as we compassionately move towards pain we can't fix it we can't solve it we have to live in the midst of the unresolved and peacemakers seek to remain there calmly 
Can I just give you two words that God's really been teaching me about how to, to do that? Those words are defined and connected. That what we seek to do in, in the midst of the unresolved tension is to remain both defined and connected. Defined that says, this is who I am. These are my convictions. That I'm going I'm to address what needs to be addressed. I'm going to confront what needs to be confronted. I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from, what I think, the way that I see it. I'm going to remain defined. And I'm going to remain connected. I'm going to stay close. I'm going to lean in and not lean back. But I'm going to maintain this relationship. And for all of us in this room, our tendency is to lean towards one or the other. Our tendency is either to lean toward defined, this is who I am, this is the way I see it. I'm going to tell you what I think and I don't care the impact that it has on the relationship. I'm going to remain defined. Thank you very much. Or we want to remain connected and we'll lose our sense of definition. We'll lose our sense of conviction. We'll, we'll concede in ways that perhaps we shouldn't. We will not say the things that are hard to say because we don't want to jeopardize the connection. And what happens when we, when we err towards one pole or the other is we don't end up getting what we want. And that what we need in the midst of the unresolved is to remain both defined and connected. Genuine peacemakers courageously move towards conflict, compassionately move toward pain, and calmly remain in the unresolved. And friends, I believe that during this Advent season, God wants us to rediscover the wonder of peace. Peace within as we seek peace, peace between as we make peace. But there's a, a third sense, a deeper sense, a sense upon which the others really are built, and that is peace above. That is our peace with God. That the reality is, is that our ability to make peace with one another and experience peace within ultimately rests on Jesus' work of bringing us to peace, to reconciliation with God. And I love the way that Zechariah tells us the reason why. He says, it's because of the tender mercy of God. And there's some of you right now in this Advent season who maybe aren't experiencing that peace, maybe aren't experiencing the tender mercy of God. The invitation to you this morning is to receive peace, to receive the reconciliation made possible between you and God. And maybe you've trusted Christ a long time ago, and yet you're not experiencing that in your life right now. The invitation to all of us is to receive the peace that God is offering to each and every one of us this Advent season. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.